This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. I, I, was, I actually asked my mom and dad this because I was trying to find um, this old blueprint that we had. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever moved into a brand new house. But whenever you move into a brand new house, the, the actual process is awesome. I mean, it's so exciting. I mean, from the moment that you actually go into the model home and you work with the staff there to actually pick your design and to pick your features and to pick your options um, and actually start to design what you think is this amazing house, um, for, Sandra, or for my mom and dad, and then we, the three boys just get to tag along for the fun, we literally kept going back to the lot all the time just to see the progress. And so the first thing, it started with just the peg in the ground kind of marking what was our lot, right? And then they dig a hole, a really big hole. And then you start getting excited. You're like, this is awesome. And then they start to pour in the footings and the foundation, and all of that starts to be laid. And, and then you're really getting excited. They let that settle for a couple of weeks. Everything is good. And then they start to build. First floor, second floor, you start to see the outside done, you start to see the roof done, you see all the windows and the doors and the trim and everything's going in. And then that big day where they hand you over the keys and you walk in for the first time and you not only see an incredible house, but you see also your design. You see your own flavor, if I can call it that this morning. You see what you added to that house. And I wanted to start with kind of our, our kind of definition that we're going to use uh, for this series over the next couple of weeks for Blueprint. The Blueprint literally is a unique design or plan to accomplish a specific task. And in context for us as believers, as the church this morning, it is God's unique design or plan to accomplish a specific task. How many have ever been in your life where you know that you could have chosen your own way to do things, which the results usually didn't go so well, and then you chose God's way, and it was much easier. A lot less issues. You know, no residue that lasted negatively for the rest of your life, you know what I'm saying? And so I want to just start this morning with a verse that has just been speaking to me and speaking to me for the last couple of months. It's in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. So for those who are maybe new to church, whenever we have like NLT or NIV, it actually references the type of version that we are using so that you can follow along. So this is actually the New Living Translation. And it says this, They serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Listen to this. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern that I've shown you here on this mountain. And the conclusion that I've come to when I read that verse is that we have, a, we have an option in what we choose to build, right? But we also have a choice in how we build and why we build. Sometimes it's when we build. But what I want to say this morning is that our goal is to follow absolutely to the, to the letter of the law the formula for the New Testament church. Is anybody excited about that? Some of you are on long weekend mode. I can see it in your eyes. You're just like, I'm here because I'm supposed to be. 
What are you thinking about? The barbecue at 12.30. What else? The cake that follows. What else? The 22 degrees in sun tomorrow where I'm going to sit on my back deck all day long and do nothing. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's what we're thinking about. Okay. But I want you to see that according to the Bible, this whole concept of God designing a pattern and then expecting people to follow is normal. So I just have a couple references that you can write down. It's the ark, the tabernacle, the temple. God actually goes into detail, detail how to build this thing. And I want to tell you this morning that it's the same thing for the New Testament church. Yes, it's a bit different. Yes, it's a, got a different feel in some senses, but it's the same thing. God sets up a pattern for how to build His church. How to build according to His message, His mission, His mandate. That's what His design is for. And so what God is looking for are churches all across the world that are saying yes to building what God is building. Amen? We good? So what in the world is Jesus building? That's a great question. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, and it says this, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Say, build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I don't know about you, but I get excited about two things there. Actually, I get excited about three things there, now that I'm thinking about it. Number one, I get excited by the fact that Jesus calls him Peter when he was still acting like Simon. That's exciting. Number two, I get excited because he makes it obvious what he's building. He's building his church. He's not building anything else. He's building his church. Number three, you know what I love? He says it will overcome hell and its power. Just think for a moment that Jesus is sitting here right now explaining that to you and telling you that personally. You're no longer that person. You're this person. You have a new identity. I'm going to build my church. Are you on board? Third, if you are, we're going to whip the devil. You know what I'm saying? Okay, well, I, I'm excited about whipping the devil. I don't know, but you guys, you guys are like. Some of you can tell who are parents because your kids had Friday off as well, and you're like exhausted from dealing with your children two days in a row. So it's like. Really, really tired? No, it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. So what is Jesus looking for from us? I have an incredible verse I want to read. It's 1 Corinthians 3.9. And it says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. He's building you. He's building us to be the most incredible group of people that is the most irresistible unstoppable church in the entire world. Why? So that people will come and know the love of the Savior. He wants partners in ministry. There was an incredible little story in the New Testament where it literally says that, that Mary and Joseph were out with Jesus. Jesus was uh, literally 12 years of age speaking in the temple. They had left and didn't know where He was. When they finally found Him, they, they come up to Him and they said, Jesus, like, where were you? What are you doing? And his response was not typical of a 12-year-old. I mean, if my 12-year-old said this, I'd be like, wow, okay, let's just put her in charge of the church now because she's godly. Wow, that's incredible. His response was, I must be about my father's business. I must do what God has asked me to do. I must build what God is asking me to build. So what in the world was his father's business? What was he building? And I'm going to kind of phrase it into one thought today, one very simple thought. What was 
his message. Well, his message is the gospel. You say, oh, this is going to sound kind of basic today. Well, that's not going to be. I'm going to have fun with this today. And I'm going to stretch you this morning, I think, beyond what you want to probably be stretched. But that's okay. How many have uh, looked at the news this week? Right? How many have been depressed by looking at the news, which is why you don't look at the news anymore? Okay. So all in the last couple of days, we've seen uh, 10 uh, youth lose their life in Texas because of another school shooting. We have seen volcanic eruptions in Hawaii that are threatening uh, much more than just people's habitat is threatening the atmosphere and acid rain and a whole bunch of other things. We've seen political chaos both here in Canada and abroad. I mean, just say North Korea, and that's pretty much enough there. Um, We have seen gun violence like never before. And probably the thing that bothers me the most, if I can be honest this morning and transparent with you, is the, um, the attack on Christian values. It's bugging me. Um, and I can reference a couple things just here in Canada alone. Bill C-16, that was a doozy. Um, there's actually laws that are being presented right now within the government where they're going to make certain biblical truths that we would stand on hate speech. This is the time that we're living in, okay? Now, am I overly concerned? No. If I end up in jail, oh well. I'll just tell people about Jesus in jail. But I'm telling you right now, pray for us. We're living in a day where things are coming against us in Canada that has never been seen before in our history. We're seeing a government taking so far away from the values and the core fundamental values of our uh, our biblical truths and biblical values that are scary. More has happened in the last three and a half years in this country alone than the previous 50 combined as far as how far away we are getting from Christian foundation. I understand that we're not a Christian nation anymore. Do you know what I'm saying? I understand that. So for me to expect a government to represent Christian values, I'm not going to expect that because they don't understand. What's happening, though, is sinners are sinning really well, and the church, as I shared a couple years ago, isn't churching as well. Sinners are doing better at sinning than the church is at churching, right? So what we have to do is just keep churching. Look it up in the dictionary. It's there. You'll see a little picture of me going, okay, it's awesome. But in the day of depressing news, I love the gospel because it literally means good news. In the day of bad news, the gospel means good news. The very first sermon Jesus ever preached, he absolutely hit it out of the park by declaring his heart of the gospel. And I'm going to read it to you, Luke chapter 4. Verses 18 and 19, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the Gospel. Say, preach the Gospel. To the poor, He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Interestingly enough, the word Gospel is actually mentioned in the New Testament 104 times. Enough for a couple times a week for you, Okay. Just so you know, there's a, it's, it's referenced a number of times. And what I love about this is this is literally his core message. So when he came and he says, I'm going to develop a new blueprint that you've never seen before. I'm going to start by a message called the gospel. It's a new blueprint, but I want you to see it. I want you to get it. This is the only thing he kept expanding upon and preached while he was on earth. It was the gospel message. The gospel message of, of, of literally hope for the poor. 
of healing for the broken, of freedom to those that are in captivity, vision for those who have lost sight. Sometimes we read that and we go, we just think physical sight. How many have ever been in a situation where you've lost sight for your life? You don't know your purpose, don't know what's going on, don't know which way is up. Let's talk about vision for your life. Yes, does it involve physical? Yes, of course. But I believe God wants us to see that maybe some of you have lost vision. Well, this is what the gospel's for. Favor. When it says the acceptable year of the Lord, the King James actually says it better, it talks about the favor of God. How many would love to have the favor of God on your life, on your health, on your finances, on your relationships, on every area of your life? This was incredibly important message to Jesus. It was what He established. It's what He laid as the foundation stone, as a cornerstone, as the blueprint and design for His New, church, uh, New Testament church. As a matter of fact, he says in Luke chapter 4, a little bit later on in this chapter, verse 43, it says, but he replied, I must preach. That word must means of absolute necessity. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too because that is why I was sent. That was his purpose. Bring good news. How many know that we have the most incredible message to give the world? The most incredible, mind-blowing, incredible story of a redemptive love that is beyond description. Somebody that didn't just pay the price for something small, but paid the price for your entire life. Not just for your life, but for the lives of everyone past, present, and future. That's the gospel message. Frank Damasio, I love this, put it this way. He says this, the heart of Jesus is arms wide open to everyone. High achievers who run out of rungs, low achievers who run out of hope, elderly running out of time, and the young running out of alternatives. It's for everybody. The gospel is for everyone. But there's a catch. Are you ready for it? It's not something we can do. It's something that's already been done. And I'm going to expand upon this a little bit today because I can honestly say if there's one observation that I've had both in my life naturally and in in those that we pastor and disciple, is that the gospel is the core fundamental message when someone first comes to Christ. And the moment that they come to Christ, they actually forget about it. They actually no longer make decisions from a gospel-centered mindset. And I'm going to kind of flesh this out a little bit this morning so that you guys can see that. But the gospel is not something that we do. It's It's something that's been done for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, an incredible verse. It says, for God made Christ who never sinned to be sin or to be the offering for our sins so that we may be made right with God through Christ. All of our sins, all of our shame, all of our failings, all of the things that we would love to have a do-over on, come on, has been placed upon Jesus. But it didn't end there. Like this is the part that gets me excited didn't end there that would be a good enough deal right there that we get rid of all of our sin but he goes okay I'm going to put all of me on you I'm going to put all of my righteousness on you I want to make them a child of God in every way know their identity know who they are know who has their back know who's going to be with them in tough times know who's walking them through everything 
Not just take away the sin. Not just to be the substitute, but be the very empowering force for you to overcome every life circumstance and situation with joy, with peace, and with hope. Amen? Amen. I call it, as many do, the divine exchange. His life for ours. Think about that. I want you to think right now, not that we're going to be depressed news moment, but I want you to think about your worst moments in your life. Think about them. Think about the times where you ignored him. Okay? Think about the times when you know you shouldn't do that, but you did it anyway. We all have been there, myself included. Now, I want you to think of all of that and put it into a large bucket. Some of you are going to have a really big bucket. Some of you are going to have an even bigger bucket. But we're all going to have a big bucket. Now, I want you to put 7 million people's buckets together. That's just what's alive today. Now I want you to go back over human history and put all the millions of people that have been alive from 100 years back and put them in a bucket. And all the people that are going to be born or yet to be born and put that in a bucket. Put all of that bitterness and pain that is in that bucket on one man on a cross. And Jesus declaring, you know how much I love you? This much. They couldn't recognize him. The Bible says Psalm 22 and Isaiah 52, he was unrecognizable. Because every person's bucket, past, present, and future of pain and bitterness and, and, and jealousy and envy and addiction and sin and, 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 and gossip and everything you could possibly think of was thrown upon Jesus. The only perfect, sinless human ever to live and ever to walk this earth placed upon Jesus. The perfect substitute. Think about this. When we are living in sin and we don't have a relationship with God, and we don't maybe know much about God, and we come to the realization that all of our bucket full of mess can be put on one man forever and ever and ever, and we don't ever have to deal with that ever again, and then he becomes the chief substitute, the one who literally lived the law for us, baptized for us, believed for us, died for us, raised from the dead for us, prays at this right hand of the Father for us right now, that same person taking every single ounce and aspect of what we've done upon himself. Somehow when we first come to God, that is a powerful thought. And then here's what happens. Oh God, that's awesome. God, I love you. God, your presence is awesome. Think about this. The moment that we make a decision to say, God, my life is not going the way I planned. I want to change my life and I want to live my life according to your blueprint, according to your plan and according to your way then his presence comes very near. You feel the tangible sense of God's presence. You feel that tangible sense of his peace and of his joy. 
And then you know what happens for most believers is we get six months in, a year in, a year and a half in, and then we start have this little kind of moment where we don't want to bother Jesus with our issues anymore. We go, God, I'll, I'll figure this out. It's okay, God, I'll figure this out. And then you know what happens is we slip into religion. Religion says do. Jesus says done. At salvation, we go, help. Goes, really? Yeah, I need help. I can help you. Okay, Jesus. And we are mesmerized by the very near presence of God who comes and moves and ministers. And then as we go along life, we don't need the gospel anymore because that was just the door. Can I say to you this morning, the gospel was not a door. The gospel is a path that you never leave, ever. As long as you live, you never leave it. If you only see the gospel as a doorway, as a means into the rest, then you're never going to live in that place. You're never going to understand the fullness of what God's done for you. What happens is you understand it in a moment, but that moment was meant to be a movement, and we limit it to a moment. But a movement speaks about life. It speaks about the ebbs and flows of life. It speaks about relationships. It speaks about difficulty. It speaks about things that we have to trust God for. And we have two choices. Religion says do, 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 do. Jesus says done. Just like two weeks ago, don't say, don't say, help. When we look to Jesus and we say, I want the gospel to affect my life right now, we are literally saying, I'm putting all my purpose, all my will, all of the stuff that I think of, that I've tried to figure out in my life, and I'm going to put it in my me box, into my me bucket. And Lord, I'm going to let go of the me bucket today, and I'm going to trust the gospel-centered bucket. That the gospel-centered bucket can affect my life and change it forever and ever and ever. Amen. Do you believe that? Why is the gospel so misunderstood? R.T. Kendall actually has a great quote on this, and I love it. He literally says, the gospel is often misunderstood because it sounds too good to be true. That we are saved by someone else's work. That someone else paid our debt. That someone purchased our home in heaven by his own blood. That we didn't do anything to deserve it. That we couldn't do anything to earn it. We couldn't strive for it. We couldn't make it happen. It's given freely. Here you go. People who are high achievers hate the gospel. Because they can't get their mind wrapped around it. You're saying that I have to just wave the white flag? Yep. What do I do? He'll tell you. Okay. But what does that look like? You'll find out. I don't like this. I like to have my life planned out. I already know what I'm doing seven years from now. We have these friends, I won't say who their name in case they ever listened to the tape back in Oshawa. But the moment they got married, after they got back from their honeymoon, no word of a lie, you can ask Sandra and ask anyone back at that church. They got home from their honeymoon, and as an act of togetherness, they went to a, um, a funeral area, like a, like a cemetery, and they bought their plots. I was like, <laughs> okay, I probably wouldn't do that coming back from my honeymoon, just saying. I think there'd be other things that would be on my mind, but not 
that. Not that. Just saying. But they bought their plots. Why? Because they're long-term planners. God constantly messes with their lives. Can I say this morning, people that are stuck in that pattern, God will often offend your mind in order to reach your heart. I don't know. Where's that in the Bible? I don't know. I should do that. Yeah, he's, he's doing that because he's, get, he's offending your mind in order to reach your heart. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Religion says do. Jesus says done. The gospel of God is about an incredible loving God welcoming you just as you are by grace alone. In other words, it's not something you can do to earn it. Through faith alone. That it's something that you have to simply believe. And in Christ alone, it's someone else other than yourself that you have to put your trust in. See how the gospel is not just one moment? It's not just when you come to the cross for the first time. It is an every single day, over and over and over again moment of reminding yourself that it's by God's grace alone today, that it's by faith alone today, and that it's in Christ alone today. That's how I'm going to live my life. God, I'm grateful for what you've done. Because of that, I trust you. And because of that, I'm going to take steps of faith in what you've asked me to do. It's that simple. That is the gospel. That's the gospel. Came up with a little definition. The gospel is the life-altering news that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, became human, lived a sinless life, died for sinners, and came back to life so that humanity could have a relationship with God. That is the awesome picture of a relentless pursuit of you. He never gives up on you. He never stops loving you. He never stops pursuing you. It is his heart. So what does religion say to you? Okay. Religion says a couple of things, and I just want to hammer them, hammer them home a little bit here, just so you can see what religion does. And I want you to take an honest evaluation of your life this morning and say, is there anything religious in me that connects to some of the things that the pastor's saying this morning? And if there is, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. It just means there's some things that God wants to adjust in your life. Are we okay with that? And I want to start by saying God's already been dealing with me this week on a couple things. So I'm in the same boat that you are. Okay, I'm not outside of that boat. I'm in the same boat. All right. Here we go. Just do good works. How many know the book of James is an awesome book? Right. I'm grateful for the book of James. Hyper grace teachers hate it. They never teach from James ever. Uh, but the book of James is awesome. But you have to understand that works doesn't necessarily prove our salvation, but it's the overflow of love for our salvation. Right? It's the motivating factor in that sense. How many have ever heard of paying it forward? How many know that paying it forward won't save you from your sins? Living the good life or living a good life is not going to save you from your sins. Because if that were true, then we would all be saved. Because everyone at least once in their life has done something for somebody else. So if that was true, why have church? Guys, let's go to the barbecue. Barbecue time. All right, let's go. We don't need this message. Let's just go to the barbecue that's waiting at home that you all know you want to have. You've had marinating steaks for the last three days, and you're ready to put them on the barbie. We all know that. 
But if that was the case, we wouldn't need anything else. It's God's goodness and God's grace that makes a way for you and for me. It's God's goodness and His grace that enables us to live a life that's pleasing to God. It's God's goodness and grace that allows us to make a difference in our world. That's it. It's not us. Now, does God have something in us? Does God put something unique in us that He desires to partner with us as well? Absolutely. So there's a couple different trains of thought in the church world today that says, well, God is sovereign and He doesn't need me. And I go, no, He chooses to partner with you. And then there's another world that says, well, it's all about me and it's not about God and God just gets to partner with me. I go, no, that's, that's a little bit of uh, fallacy as well. God loves you, has a plan and a purpose for your life, but He chooses in His infinite wisdom to partner with you. You are His hands and feet. You are His mouthpiece. You are the one that's going to be proclaiming the gospel to people. That's how He's chosen to work with us. Galatians 5, chapter 4 says, For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ and you've fallen away from God's grace. How many know that we need law in order to know what's right and wrong? How many are grateful that you're teaching your children that? Right. But the problem is, is if we create a fear of something as the motivating factor, guess what's happening? We're not touching their heart. We're only touching their mind. But if you create in them a love for what is right, and you create in them a desire to honor the one that gave up his entire life with all of the buckets of the known world, all the buckets from seven million souls, all the buckets before, all the buckets after, if you come to that understanding that every single thing that's ever gone wrong in this world has been placed on Jesus Christ, and you see a picture of that every single day of your life, then I don't know about you, but I just want to love him more. I just want to serve him more. I just want to help him more. I just want to partner with him in ministry more. That's my heart. Because I'm overwhelmed by what Jesus has done. I'm going to drop another bomb on you. Are you ready for this? <clears throat> Second thought that religious people love to, to land on. Sinners should save themselves. Don't be a burden. Don't do this. Don't do that. Here's the conclusion I've come to this week as I was thinking about this. Sinners can't save. They only sin. Saviors save because they can't sin. Now, I'm going to flesh this out, and I'm going to prove this to you this morning. How many have ever been in a situation in life where you feel an emptiness in your life regarding a particular thing? It could be a relationship. It could be anything. You feel an emptiness in your life, and the only conclusion you've come to is if I just do this fill in the blank, then my life will turn around. We all have just do fill in the blank, period, in our life. All of us. It's religious. It's religious. Because it's literally saying, I don't need the gospel to rescue me and save me. I can do this myself. Think about this for a second. What led us to the cross, this overwhelming sense of His goodness and of His sacrifice. The further we get away from the cross, the more we justify trying to figure things out on our own. So the further we get away from the cross, we actually have to look back and see the validity of the cross and why we need the cross. Right? But our culture has created this religious mindset in our church, in, in our churches all the, across the world that says, if I can just fill in the blank and do this, then everything's going to be turned around. My life is going to change. So I, can I be honest with you for a second? I did this when I was single. When I was single, I had made up my mind. If I just met that person, 
then my life will be different. And then God took every possibility away from me for three years until I died in a painful little wallowing little pool in the corner of a church with a little guy in his early 20s, six foot tall, bawling like a little child in the corner of a church, going, okay, God, I guess I'll give that dream up. <laughs> and then she showed up like two months later. The Bible says, unless a seed falls to the earth and dies, it can bear no fruit. Until the me-centered bucket dies, God can't give you a gospel-centered bucket to live in. Then the only thing we do is we live it mentally, but we don't live it from our heart. And what does mental stuff do? It actually causes you to strive to how to, how to impress God, how to get better, how to improve myself. You know, you go to the Indigo or, or chapters and you can see a million self-help books. And I'm not necessarily sitting here saying you shouldn't get a self-help book. But what I am saying, there already is one. Best-selling book of all time. Just saying. Okay. All right. John Piper says this. You never, never, never outgrow your need for the gospel. Don't ever think of the gospel as that's the way you get saved and then you get strong by leaving it and doing something uh, else. No, we are strengthened by God through the gospel every day until the day we drop. John Piper. Everything has to do with the gospel. Colossians chapter 1 literally paints this incredible picture. It says the same good news, the same gospel that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing Lives. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Just as it has changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood this truth about God's wonderful grace. God's desire for you this morning is to live a gospel-centered life. A gospel-centered life. Gospel-centered people, um, because I consider myself now one, ask a very simple question, what can I do for God? Me-centered people, which I was for a number of years, ask, what can God do for me? It's the greatest kind of marker or indication of where you're landing. God, what can you do for me? Versus, God, what can I do for you? Romans 1.16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Of the gospel, for it is the very power of God for salvation. It's the very power of God for breakthrough. It's the very power of God for healing. It's the very power of God for salvation in every sense of the Greek word sozo, which literally means deliverance, liberty, freedom, financial prosperity. You can go through the whole list. That's what sozo means. It's not just the forgiveness of sins. Here's where I want to stretch you this morning. Depending on your church background, you could live in such a way that you've, you have literally narrowed the gospel entirely down to my sins were forgiven. And the only thing you come out of that is gratefulness because you, you feel like, okay, well, I'm not going to hell anymore. I'm going to heaven. That's awesome. That's good. But that's the only thing that, the only part of the work that was done on the cross that we actually live out is this concept of God forgave my sins. 
But the gospel is all-encompassing. It involves everything. It's every last part of who you are. It's what God has desired for your life. It brings us to Christ. It grows us in Christ. It sustains us in Christ. It empowers us to live for Christ. It's everything. Gospel, remember, is not a door. It's a path. Interestingly enough, um, during the uh, Reformation, for those that have kind of studied church history and especially the Reformation, I honestly think everyone in the world has got to read a book on the Reformation at some point. It is mind-blowing what happened. That does not mean that I agree with every single thing that Martin Luther stood for because there's a lot of uh, you know, track record to prove that he was also a racist, which is not good. Um, I don't condone that at all. But Martin Luther uh, started something that literally has changed the known world. Protestant Reformation. Interestingly enough, the book of Romans was his favorite book. He also loved Galatians because he often called it the mini-Romans. It was the Coles Notes version of Romans. It was the book of Galatians. So he would la- literally land there and preach through that often. But he loved the book of Romans because he called it the purest gospel. Had the purest message. Interestingly enough, it starts in Romans chapter 1. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And right near the end of Romans, in Romans chapter 15, verse 20, it says, as Paul is saying, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. It's his goal. It's his ambition. It's everything about him. I want you to understand this morning, the gospel is his blueprint. It's his blueprint. One of the things that um, I have personally been blessed to witness for the last four and a half months now is Sandra's been doing a class with the interns on personal evangelism. And I can quite honestly say, I don't want to speak for the five interns that are here, but I can quite honestly say without any hesitation whatsoever that their view of the importance of the gospel has radically changed in the last four and a half months. The importance of evangelism, the importance of telling people about this incredible gift of redemption of the cross of Jesus Christ. Some of you may be here this morning and you may be thinking, man, this is the first time I've ever heard of this kind of story. I've maybe never heard this before. Maybe it's the first time I've heard this. I have news for you that the incredible gift is the the gospel message at its core. Romans 5 says this, If death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes? Sovereign life and those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift. This grand setting everything right that the one man Jesus Christ provides. It's an incredible gift. It's a gift that you can't earn. You know, the Catholic Church for years tried to convince you if you paid indulgences that you could earn it. Or you could get somebody out of purgatory. Uh, Nope, didn't work. Martin Luther blew that one out of the water. Justification by faith in Christ. By His grace, in faith, in Christ alone. That's all it is. Maybe some of you this morning don't feel worthy of the gift because of your own life choices and your life story that you've created. Well, Romans 3.23 speaks to this beautifully, and I can honestly say I resonate with this verse because for so many years this was my life. It says we've compiled, if you can put this in the first person for yourself, I've compiled this long and sorry record as a sinner, both us and them, and prove that I am utterly incapable of living the glorious life God wills for us. We can't do it on our own. We can't figure it out. 
Maybe as a result of your life choices, some of you have felt a distance from God. I know I have at times. Why is that? Well, Romans 3.23, it explains it beautifully in the New King James, where it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Isaiah 59, verse 2, it says, for our sins have separated us from our God. I think the verse up there says iniquities, but it literally means our sins. Our sins have separated us from God. Maybe you've tried unsuccessfully in your life to try to find your way back to God. Maybe you've, maybe you've tried church, if I can be honest, this morning in order to kind of appease your conscience or make you feel better about yourself. Maybe you've tried different religions. Maybe you've tried different self-help books. Maybe you've tried, I don't know, everything. I know one friend that I um, knew back in Oshawa where he literally, I think, tried everything that's ever existed at least once. And then guess what he came to the conclusion of? Jesus is the only way. And he tried everything. He tried everything. You've come to find one simple thing today and realize today that there's, 1 Timothy 2.5 says, there's only one God and only one, and one priest and mediator between God and us. His name is Jesus. And Jesus himself declared, for I am the way, I am the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the one thing that's incredible about the gospel. It's inclusive in the sense that anyone can come to Christ, but it's exclusive in the sense that it's only him. That's the way. What does our culture say? Well, there's many ways to God. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said there's only one way to the Father. It's through me. It's through the cross. And I want you to think this morning a very simple thought. Can I live my life for Jesus? knowing what he had to go through for me? Can I take the divine exchange this morning where he can take all my sins and all my failures and all my shame and all my regret for the simplicity of accepting the most incredible loving gift ever given, your life, in exchange for his? It's incredible. Maybe you're thinking this morning that what happens if someone judges my former choices and, and, and is judging me for what I used to do? Well, I, I think the reality is that I think we've all thought that at one point, right? But I love what Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, And Jesus canceled the record of charges against me and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Today, make a choice to live a gospel-centered life, not a me-centered life. I've uh, kind of got back into reading more than I have lately, and I've picked up a book by R.T. Kendall, and the topic of, or the title of the book was uh, What's Happened to the Gospel by R.T. Kendall. don't necessarily agree with all the theology in there because he's more of a Calvinist, but phenomenal book that has absolutely wrecked my world. And he asked this very potent question in his book. He basically says, why is Christianity so important today? Why is the cross so important today? And his answer is very simple. Because eternity lasts a long time. It's a long time. The choice you make today to say yes to the gospel can revolutionize your life and change your eternal destiny. Some of you, I honestly believe in here, 
or saying to yourself, well, yeah, I've heard this before, and yeah, I've been a Christian for 17,000 years, and, and I've got it all together, and I know what I'm doing. But I feel like this message is as much for you today as it was for me this week. Where God was saying, are you really as gospel-centered, Cameron, as you think you are? Are you really living in this incredible understanding of somebody who came and gave up everything in order to take the sins of the world upon himself just for you? Do you get that? Why is the gospel so important? Because eternity lasts a long time. People need to know. I feel like we're sitting on the, on the cure for cancer. And we're not telling anyone. Eternity lasts a long time. I'm grateful today that my mom made a choice 37 years ago. We just passed 37 years ago, March of 1981. Because her choice changed my life. Sometimes we don't realize that our choices today have an effect. Why is the gospel important for you today? Because it just doesn't affect your eternity. It can affect somebody else's. My mom's choice has changed my life. And it's changed my older brother's life. And soon enough, it's going to change my younger brother's life. And my dad's life. The gospel is incredibly important today. I want you to just close your eyes for a second before we take communion here. And I want you to think about the questions I'm going to ask. And I want you to be real with God today. Do you know for sure that if you were to die today, you would go to heaven? Do you know for sure that if you died today on your way home to the barbecue, would you be in heaven? Second question. If you were to stand before God and He were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? For me, it's a simple answer. Because Jesus is my everything. I've given everything up for him. I love him and I'm grateful for what he did. I want you to ask yourself the same questions. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today that you'd be in heaven? Number two, I'm going to go in a bit of a different direction because I know some of you, many of you are already Christians. I want you to ask a very simple question. Am I living a me-centered life? Or am I living a gospel-centered life? And if I'm in between, what can I do to make those changes? What can I do to be all in the gospel-centered bucket? Why is this important? Because someone needs to hear your story. Because someone needs to hear the gospel. 
because eternity lasts a long time. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com. 